Thanks, Mikey. <clears throat> Hello, church. Um, tonight we'll be reading from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. At Providence, we read the Bible because we believe um, this is how God speaks to us and is how we can truly understand his will for our lives. So Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that you speak to us through it. And we pray tonight as we start off in Philippians and, and hear about uh, Paul's love for the church and the church uh, the church's love for him, Lord, that will be encouraged and inspired, empowered as well to live lives that are gospel-centered, lives that honor and glorify your name as your church. So we do pray for that uh, tonight in your son's name. Amen. So I've got a friend in Sydney. His name is Chester, and he's really into cycling. Uh, a few years ago, he participated in a cycling event called the Tour de Cure, right? He rode 1,600 kilometers in 10 days. That is really far, if you, 1,600 kilometers, right? And the event itself, amongst all the cyclists, raised $2.5 million that went towards cancer research. That's, he's, he's crazy, That's, he's a crazy cyclist, like he's really good at it. And I got to chat with Chester, right, after he returned, uh, and he shared with me, it was from Sydney to Tasmania, he, he shared with me how excruciating it was, how painful it was. He came back with a sore, a really sore bum, but there was a couple of days where he got really sick as well. He, had, he was sick with gastro. So he would ride, he would stop, he would vomit, then have diarrhea, get back on the bike, and he'd be, just continue riding. And, and it was intense. He felt weak, smashed, had to fight the weather, the terrain, and push through sickness at the same time. And I asked him why he couldn't just take a day off, you know, take a day off to recover from the sickness, uh, but he said he didn't want to. He said he had to power on for the sake of his teammates who were riding with him. He didn't want to let them down. He had his role to play in a team to see their goal achieved, to finish this you know, 1,600 kilometer uh, cycle. How inspiring is that? I mean, that resilience, that perseverance. Wow. I mean, some people would think it's crazy. But for me, wow, that was, that's so encouraging. You know, it, he pushed through the pain for the sake of his team to reach their goal. I mean, rarely do we see anyone that passionate about working in a team, right? Uh, rarely are we that passionate uh, to fight through gastro, to fight through sickness. 
Uh, for much, for, for many of us, it doesn't take much, right, to take a sickie from work because you feel too tired to go, or your friends call you up on the weekend and say, hey, let's go out tonight, but you'd rather just stay home and finish that series on Netflix. It's so much easier to veg out at home, play video games and play team sport, sleep in on Saturday mornings when the majority you know, of others are, are going out to do boot camp instead on a Saturday morning. <laughs> I know, I understand. It, we'd rather just spend our weekends on our own especially with rather than spending it with a group of people that you have nothing in common with as well. Isn't that true of us? That our relationships often are ones of convenience, ones that suit my schedule and my needs. Only when it does that, I'll, yeah, I'm happy to participate. And I wonder if that's also translating the way we see church. Is church just a group of people that suits my needs? Is it just a group of people that I spend time with when it's convenient? Is that what God calls us to be as his church? You see, I think that's what Philippians chapter 1, these 11 verses, is really getting, getting us to understand. Are we just having these relationships of convenience, or are we part of a community that exists for something greater, beyond ourselves? You see, with restrictions easing up in our city, we've got to jumpstart our social lives again, don't we? And I know for some of us, they're like, oh, that sounds scary. Meeting up in person again, oh, I'm not ready for that. I know some of us are feeling that way. But what will it look like for us as we start in small groups, in our smaller midweek community groups, and as we transition to, to meeting in larger groups later on, what will it look like for us to be the church? Meeting together physically, gathering together to worship God. What will it look like to be a Christian, part of a church community, part of Providence Church? For those of you who uh, aren't Christian and you're here just you know, investigating Christianity, what it's all about, I'm so glad you're here because I want to encourage you to consider what the church really is existing for. What are we all actually about here? We're going to see uh, from this passage that a church community is one that's based on Jesus, driven by love, one that's active in prayer. And that's just breaking it down for you a little bit, but we really want to see what it looks like to be I guess, transformed by the gospel and how that impacts our lives as a community. So let's start off in this passage, Paul and Timothy, it starts off with this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. All right, so if you have your Bibles open, that was just verse 1 to 6. You can follow along as I read through. So far, Paul has told us he's the one who's writing this letter to Philipp the Philippian church. But everything he says is based upon Jesus. Can you see that? God's people were built on the foundation of Jesus. So from the outset, verse 1 to 2, Paul says, Paul has this Jesus-centered outlook. Everything in life is, is around Jesus. He writes this letter to the church in Philippi. He calls himself and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus. He's, Paul's an apostle. Paul, he writes half the letters for us in the Bible, right? He's a leader of many churches, a church planner. He's, you know, Timothy is a pastor as well. These guys, though, they're not calling themselves CEOs or anything. They're calling themselves servants. How, how encouraging is that? It's, 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 he's changing the way he sees people who lead the churches. We're called to be servants of Christ. 
He says to God's people, the church, he, said, he calls them holy people. If you've got a different translation than the NIV, you might have the, the ESV, the English Standard Version in front of you. The word there is saints. He uses the word saints there. That's probably a better trans, translation of the word. He says to the saints of Jesus in Philippi. It's pretty grand language, isn't it? I mean, we don't call each other saints. You know, I don't say, hey, Saint, Saint Roy or, or, or Saint, uh, Saint Billy. I don't use those words to address anyone. But Paul's calling us, the church, Christians, saints. Now, if you grew up in a Catholic church setting, using that word, to, it sounds offensive even. You, know, you only reserve that word for, for the holy of holies, or holiest people. Uh, I read up on this. You know, if you want to become a saint in the Catholic church, there's a lot of steps involved. Well, first, you know, you have to do, have done good things in your life, uh, and then you die. You have to wait till you die, and then after you die, the church will investigate the things you did in your life, and then someone has to pray to you. And then when they pray to you, a miracle has to happen. And the church will then investigate that miracle to, to, you know, to see that it's true, that it happened. If someone prayed in your name, a miracle happened. And then when that miracle happens, uh, I think that something else has to happen, and then you become... A saint. Like there's all these steps involved. It's a lengthy process, but it can only happen after you die. And after that all happens, then the church will name you a saint. That's not what the Bible says. Right here, straight up. The saints in the church of Philippi. The saints in the church of Providence in Sunnybank. That's who we are, the holy people of God. You see, Paul can say that because our holiness isn't from us. It isn't from what we do. It's the holiness of Christ that's been gifted to us. That's what the gospel of Jesus achieves for us. Jesus died for our sin, so our sin has been removed. We're not known as sinners, even though we will continue to sin. We're known as saints before God. Jesus has cleansed us. He, he has given us his holiness. Yes, we are saints. We still will struggle with sin in this world, in a, in a sin-stained world, in a fallen world with fallen bodies and fallen minds. None of us are perfect, perfectly holy while we still live on this world. We'll still be tempted. We'll still fall into sin. But before God, the day we stand before God, he will see us cleansed, sinless, saints, because Christ's blood covers us. Do you get that? Right? I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. And so Paul, from the outset, he helps us to get the foundation right. Understand you and I have been made God's holy chosen people. We're servants, we're saints of the gospel. We're servants, we're saints of Christ Jesus. How do we live this out? How do we live this identity out? Paul goes on to talk about how thankful he is for them. He says he's joyful for them. The beauty of the gospel partnership he has with them creates joy. I mean, from the first day until now, he says, there's a commitment here. He's been with them, walking with them from the first day, which means he, he planted the church in Acts chapter 16. You can read all about it, how he planted the church in Philippi. He's writing a letter to them now. He's writing uh, to them from Rome. He's in prison at the moment. He, later on, we hear he's in chains, but he's not making a fuss about it. He begins this letter, letter to this church and he says, I'm thankful for you. I might be struggling, but I'm thankful for you. It's not about me right now. I'm thankful for you, this partnership, this commitment. And there's this deep affection for them, a deep joy for their partnership. So, so they probably, they, they function like good pen pals. They keep in contact. They continue to encourage each other, even while he's in lockdown in another city. And it's not just a, a, hey, Paul, you know, we love you, we support you. It's Paul, we love you. And we love what you're doing 
in seeing the gospel spread. You know, there's a support that it's not just for Paul as a person, but it's seeing the work that he's doing for God, for Christ. We encourage each other because we want to keep seeing the gospel grow in our world around us. That's what this encouragement begins with. It's founded, the foundation of the church and the love for one another starts with Christ. The gospel message going forward, Paul's ministry, there's a partnership here. That's what, this, that's what, that's what we see in the church too. You see, uh, we don't use the word partnership in church much because it's such a formal word. When we think about partnership, we often think of, of two people that uh, partner in a firm together. They own a company, right? Partners in a firm that work together. Uh, their names are on the wall. You know, Pearson and Spectre, they're, on the, they're there to make lots of money. That's what we think when we think of partnership. Let's start a partnership together. But what we read here, this idea of partnership is a way of saying fellowship, right? And you might have heard that in church circles, the word fellowship. It's, it's, it's fellowship around the gospel. And with fellowship comes this, this there's, there's emotion infused in language. I thank God, he says, in my remembrance of you, there's joy in my prayers for you. Fellowship in the gospel is a motive. There's a deep relational aspect to it. And I don't want us to confuse this with hanging out. I know in church circles, we use the word fellowship synonymous with hanging out. Let's go out for fellowship where we can be chummy, hang out, have a coffee, Netflix together, or go on a hike. We'll label it as fellowship. But Paul's use here of fellowship is a type of fellowship that involves something deeper. It does involve hard work. It involves sweat, blood, and tears. It involves support and encouragement, all the deep things that come with being part of a church. And I really think uh, The Lord of the Rings, that movie, if you've watched it, do you remember what the first movie was called, the first book? The Fellowship of the Ring. A king, a dwarf, an elf, a man, a wizard, a few hobbits, a community of different people that created a fellowship. They were united for a common cause around a ring with a purpose and mission of destroying, destroying the ring and destroying evil. And I don't think any of them really had anything in common when they gathered together but they were gathered together to fight against the forces of evil. You know, they were gathered together to protect Frodo Baggins from, from death and danger, and they did it for the good of the world, for good. They were determined. They had a great purpose. They had a fellowship in which they were ready to die for one another. True fellowship is less like a group of, of guys coming together to, to, to play overcooked on the switch, but being in a community instead of people who are united around a great cause. For the church, it's united around the good news of Jesus, the gospel. We're the fellowship of the gospel of Jesus. Not only to, to live it out, but to see it made known across our globe, just like what Paul and the church in Philippi are doing. There's a partnership here between Paul and the church. And there's a partnership between one another here at Providence as well, a fellowship. It's far from being in relationships of just convenience but it's a community of people committed to the same cause in unity and love. You see all the actions in the way the church supports and encourages Paul, he's able to say that he's confident. Paul says, he's confident that God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Wow. Are you confident in your brothers and sisters that God is working in them, that God is gonna bring them and complete the work that he started in them? And Paul sees their love in action. He says that love in action is built upon Jesus and the gospel message. The church is, is living out their faith actively. God is at work in these people. See, this fellowship, 
he can see that this is, is deep. There's devotion there. The same God who makes us saints is the same God who will be the one who finishes the work. So it's so important for us to understand this. If you've committed yourself to God, there's a divine promise God has made. He will see it through. The Holy Spirit will be given to us so that we can pursue holiness, so we can repent of our sin. We can obey God. The Spirit helps us to do that. We can't do it on our own. God is committed to us. He's committed to working in and through us. But not only the Spirit. God works through us through another daily grace that he gives us. The fellowship. The church. Gospel partnership. See, the Christian who knows God is never alone in our task. We're never alone. Frodo and Samwise, they were never alone as they trekked the mountains of Mordor. God will see us through. He'll continue to work in and through us, through the Holy Spirit. Yes, he will sanctify us. That will make us more and more holy. But he'll also do that in the context of being in the fellowship, being in the church community that supports one another on our journeys. We're going to understand our roles, friends. Understand your role, my role in our church community. It begins, though, first with knowing that we're a church that is built on the foundation of Jesus, God who makes us holy. There's a deep joy as well that comes with it. If we keep reading uh, of the love and joy that comes from, from verse 7 to 8, it says this, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of, you, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Man, as you read that, can you feel it? Can you feel the joy, the, the love he has for the church? I don't know what you do in your spare time. You might be part of a, a dance club, a cycling group, a soccer team. And in that group, you might have nothing in common with any of the other members. You go there because you guys unite around a common purpose, common hobby, and that's great. But what would you des- would you describe that community, one that's marked by love first and foremost? Is that why you guys unite? Usually it's about the hobby, isn't it? Imagine that, gathering around with the community people united because the purpose is to love, to know love and to be loved and to love others. The church is made up of different people, different people of different ages, backgrounds, contexts, Many of us have nothing in common except the faith, the love of Christ that unites us. What if we could be that community marked by love? That when people came into our community, they could see that, wow, this is a place where I know there's love, where I can love others too and be loved. One that will bring me a great joy of being part of something greater. You see, when Paul writes this, he's not mechanical, is he? He doesn't write this to a distant person, a distant stranger, but he says he yearns for them with all the affection in Jesus. As a deep-rooted joy and affection that comes from the gospel that drives our fellowship and partnership. Do you love the church that God has given you? Not just in a wishy-washy, vague, ambiguous way, yeah, I love everyone, but in this emotive way, in this, uh, this passionate way, one that yearns to be together, one that can't wait to meet together and do and share life again together you know i think this time of restrictions this time of isolation has really tested that it's made us think wow do i love my church do i miss them i mean we use those words when we describe our good friends our family perhaps you know i can't wait to see you i've missed you text me back asap but to describe this paul actually you know he says 
he says this about the church. And, and this language he uses, it doesn't translate um, greatly in English, but the Greek, that the original language where he writes this, he says he longs for them from the bottom of his bowels, you know, like his intestines. <laughs> He's basically saying there's this bodily response to how much he cares for them and loves them. I imagine in the English language, we use the words, you know, butterflies in my stomach sort of thing. But I think he's saying that there's this deep desire for them from the bottom of his bowels. I've never used that to describe my yearning for someone. But hey, it's an image, isn't it? It's an image to show us that it's from the very depths of his soul he yearns for them. It's the same depths and love that Christ has for him, which moves him. Jesus Christ and his love for his people wasn't Jesus Christ wasn't in heaven looking down on us, a messy, broken people, and thinking to himself, hmm, I'll love them if it's convenient for me. No, God extended his arm of fellowship to us because of his love for us. He reached down, he came into our world. Jesus came into our world to the point of death on the cross. That's how much he loves us. And that's the same love Paul has for his church. There's a good and gracious God who has poured out his salvation and love to us through the cross. And just as that love of Christ has filled Paul, so it overflows to the church. You know, there are probably people in this church that Paul has never met before, but he still loves them. God gives us these ordinary daily graces, doesn't he? That we're part of a community where we're called to love each other, where we get to be loved by one another. Because God has given us a love, a divine love that we can give to others. Let's be part of a community where that's real. Let's be part of a community where we can say we have great joy being part of something greater than ourselves. You know, it's one of those things where people ask, you know, why doesn't God give me comfort? Why do, why do I always feel lonely? Where can I find encouragement? Well, look at the daily graces God has given to us. You know, we can say, yeah, God gives us technology to use. God gives us medicine to take. God gives us all these good things, breath to breathe, a life to live. Great, you know, daily graces that we can appreciate. But have you ever considered that God also gives you the church? That the church is there to encourage one another, to comfort each other, to empower each other, to be connected in with. When we need to even be rebuked or corrected with gentleness, we often see that God uses his own people, the church, to do that work. The church that seeks to love one another, a people who speak the gospel to one another, who are gracious to one another, who minister to one another, the brothers and sisters around you. See, as partners under God's word and in prayer, I want, I need a brother in Christ who knows the love of Christ to speak the truth in love. I need a sister in Christ to, to pull me aside and say, Mikey, that wasn't cool, man. You know, honor Jesus. We need that. We need each other to speak truth in love. Honestly, even though there might be shame, there might be fear, I need to hear it. You need to hear it. It may be a harsh word, it may be an encouraging word, depending on the situation, but I need my church family to do that for me out of love. We're fellow Christians on this journey together, driven by love. Now, I know for many of us, joy is in the first word when we think about when we think about church. For some, the first word is, is church is a drag, a routine, obligation. And we look around, the problem, and the problem is uh, the community around us often disappoints us. It often fails us. Sometimes we feel let down. Sometimes we just feel like no one understands. 
Sometimes we feel like people are just plain rude. Some hurt us. And so we begin treating the whole body, right? The whole church, the whole body of Christ like that. From one or two bad experiences, we label the whole church. We'll say, man, I love Jesus. I love God, but I'm not a, I, I don't love his fan club. I'm not a fan of his people, right? I've heard that before. One or two Christians will make us feel completely off about the church altogether. We've had these bad experiences, and I can totally understand that. It sucks when that happens. And we start seeing church not a place where we're going to be loved, but a place where we're going to feel judged. Or we change the way we see about church. Okay, I'm just going to go to church for me. And we consume the love of others. We consume uh, church, the experience, as if I'm there only for me, not for anyone else. We're not there to give love. We're not there to serve love to others. We only expect it from others. We expect it from the church. But do you see what Paul is saying here? It's not about Paul. He's struggling, but he's not talking about him in chains. He's talking about them. It's it's not about you. That's what he's trying to say here. I think that's what we all need to understand. It's not about us. It's about Christ. We love because Christ first loved us. We love not because we expect anything in return, but because we already have it all in Jesus. We love because you and I have already experienced and known the greatest love of all, the love that saves us to the God who is love. And so, yes, we should have joy, but that joy isn't going to always come from the people. It might not. But there's a joy because we gather around God together. How can you have that joy? Let's, Let's keep looking for that as we gather together. Let me encourage you when it feels like a drag, come back to the gospel. Come back to who Jesus is. You know, our vision at church is love Jesus, love each other, love our world. We can only love each other when we understand what loving Jesus looks like. When we understand we're a church built upon the gospel. And when we're built upon the gospel, we're going to be driven by love. Who will you love on today? Who will you reach out to love on in love this week? Who will you reach out to in gospel fellowship with a sense of joy in Christ. Church is about being a community built on the gospel, driven by love, and lastly, active in prayer, in gospel-centered prayer. Verse 9, let let me keep reading. It says this, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best, may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But you see see here that partnership, the fellowship, it involves prayer, gospel-centered prayer. When we read that prayer, everything about it is saturated with with Jesus. That's, That's, I mean, do we ever pray anything like that for one another? Isn't it so common that when we gather together and we ask each other, hey, what can I pray for you about, man? We say... Uh, pray for my study. That will really help me right now. Pray for my, my work. Pray for my, my current undesirable circumstances. Paul is blowing that all out of the water. I mean, sure, you can pray for those things. But he's saying, pray for a love that abounds more and more and more in knowledge and depth so that we can discern and prove what is truly excellent. Do you ever pray that for someone? Do you ever ask for someone to pray that for yourself? Please do, because friends, we aren't perfect yet. We aren't perfectly sinless or righteous. We're still going to struggle. With, yes, we're saints, but we're still going to struggle with sin in this, in this world. Struggle with temptation. We're going to struggle with failure, rebellion, idolatry, pride, self-centeredness. 
where loving Jesus, loving God, loving others is not on our agenda. We'll struggle and we'll fall into temptations. I know I do. I know I'm not perfect. And I find myself loving myself more than God all the time, loving myself more than others all the time, loving my comfort more than loving my church family. We, so let's pray for each other. Let's pray for each other, not to just pass our exams and for the job that we want, but we should be praying gospel-rich prayers that no matter what our circumstances are, even if we were to fail our exams, even if we were to, to lose our jobs, even though as hard as that can be, we'll still be firm in the gospel. We'll still stand firm in the gospel. We'll still love Jesus. We'll still be a people who make God look good in our world, who honor and glorify God, who are glorifying and growing in holiness. Because let's be honest, you and I have so much work to work on still, don't we? In terms of our godliness, we still struggle to obey Jesus. We are pieces of a puzzle still being put together here while we're in this world. We're not yet complete until we stand before God. We're still living these mortal bodies in this temporary fleeting life. But you know, God doesn't leave us in our mess. God has begun putting the pieces together to make us beautiful, pure, blameless, so that we can be complete before God, so that we can be complete before Him when we stand before Christ. God has began that work in us. We'll continue to struggle with our self-centered pride and idolatry, brokenness. Yes, we will. It's very much felt in this world. But we anticipate, don't we, the coming day of Christ where we can be pure and blameless, where God will complete the work, as verse 6 says. Until then, we need to pray for it. We need to pray for one another, those around us, that we can be a people saved and sanctified, which means set apart to be holy, sanctified, growing in holiness for the glory of God. Sanctification is the prayer Paul makes for the people. Is that our prayer for those around us? A people made more and more holy for God. Do you see that? The church community is one based on the gospel of Jesus. It's driven by love and actively praying for one another to grow more and more in love. More and more, have more and more love for God and for one another. Do you see how all this points us to, to what Paul finishes his prayer with? It's all for the glory of God. Our growth, our, our, our maturity in righteousness and holiness, all that is for God's glory. Our love for one another, our love for Jesus, it's for God's glory. When we pray these rich gospel-centered prayers, it's not about us. It's not about passing exams or getting that dream job or having the finances in your bank account. It's about living lives that honor Jesus. It's about growing in holiness. And when that happens, we bring, we bring praise and honor to the name of God. No one deserves more praise than he. It's not about us. It's all about him. And the more we grow in holiness, the more our prayers are shaped less and less by our immediate needs, but by the mission and glory of Jesus. He's worthy. He's the one who has brought salvation and love to our world. And I'm so glad that he gets the glory and not me. See, when God works in us, it begins with God and it culminates with God. Paul prays for this and he has a confidence for these people because the motivation is God himself. Everything about this is so gospel rich, isn't it? So gospel saturated. Yeah, as we think through what this looks like in, in concrete application, concrete terms, I think it begins with first acknowledging where God has placed you. This might sound like I'm flying the flag of providence here, but have you ever stopped to be thankful for the church you're part of? 
whether it's Providence or another church community, do you ever realize that God uses the church to help you grow in your faith? I released a church survey for our members to fill out, and one of those questions was, how has church helped you to grow? And I asked that question more for yourself, so you can reflect on how God has been at work through this church community. And I was so encouraged to hear that many of you have grown over the years you've been with us. Do you realize we need the church? God uses the church to help us grow in our faith. Do you realize that you and I, we need the church community around us to love and be loved, to pray and be prayed for? The church community is a gift that God gives us. It's not a community that's to be despised or rejected. Not to be treated as a reluctant routine or an undesirable obligation. Let's put the church in its right place as a gift from God that gives great joy when the gospel is practiced and made known through this motley crew of people. (laughs) Secondly, as Paul does here, pray for one another. I mean, that's a very simple application. Not just for our immediate circumstances, while they may be good and all, but pray for the love of Christ to abound in our hearts. I mean, if you're with others right now, watching church together, doing a watch party in someone's house, can I encourage you, after this is over, stop and just say, hey guys, let's, let's pray for our church community right now. Let's pray for one another. Let's pray that we'll truly love Jesus in word and deed. Let's be a people that care about sin and repentance and obedience to God. Can we pray for that? Because when we love Jesus, we'll love each other. So let's pray for people to love the gospel in our church so that it'll overflow in our love for one another. Thirdly, let's pursue actively loving one another in tangible ways. Let's be honest. We're always going to be in situations in life, in our workplaces, classes, our homes, where there are people around us that do struggle, that we do struggle with to love. Even so much more in church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our church family. Sure, we have the gospel in common, but personalities will clash. People will have beef. People will struggle to forgive. People are, will be confrontational and that scares us. People will be harsh. People will be judgmental, blunt, too shy, too introverted, guarded, reserved, whatever. There's a whole list of reasons why it's really hard for us to love one another. I, I understand that. I've been in church circles for a long time myself. But perhaps we need to start praying for ourselves to love and to love selflessly. Let's go out there and love tangibly. This isn't some sort of me telling you to send positive vibes to others. It's doing something in action. Let's love in action. You know, this isn't some sort of I love everyone and everything sort of thing. Everything is awesome. It's not that superficial or passive love. But it's a deep love that comes from knowing God's love for us and pouring that out onto others. Love that we know in our heads heads that affects our hearts and then overflows into our hands right that serves to love others head heart and hands let that love impact us so so much that that will happen you know john 13 verse 35 in the bible says this by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another are you one of god's jesus's disciples let's pray for love that abounds in the fellowship of the cross Let's wrestle and fight and struggle together in prayer for such things. Pray for a love that unifies, a love that looks past differences, but genuinely desires fellowship and partnership in the gospel. Lastly, as Paul does, rejoice. Rejoice in what God is doing in and through this church community. I know there are times where it's hard to find joy at church. But when we stop and we reflect, we can celebrate and we can find joy that God is actually at work in the lives of the people around us. 
You know, we're always celebrating the small wins at church. If you uh, have sat down with me at any time or in one of our missional community groups, what do we start our time with? Usually I, I like to start our time with saying, what are we thankful for? What has God been doing in our church? And as we reflect on those things, we can find joy. God is at work. God is performing miracles sometimes in people's hearts. You know, and it's amazing to see all the time he's doing that. You know, uh, there's this book called Humility by C.J. Mahaney. It's one of the best books I've read on this topic. I really I want to encourage you to read it if you haven't. Uh, in Cultivating Humility, he says, we need to see God's grace at work in other people's lives. It's very easy to be proud, to be judgmental on others. But when we can stop and look at others and think, how has God been at work in this person? What is it about this person where I can see God, uh, his spirit at work? It changes the way we see them. It humbles us. It puts us in our right place, right? God loves those around you as much as he loves you. You see, Paul himself, he was a spiritual giant, courageous and bold that his faith led him to be in prison. But he didn't try to guilt trip the Philippian church. He didn't say, oh, you guys aren't doing enough. He didn't say, hey, you should be in jail as well. You got, you got to try harder. He acknowledged with joy and praise that God was at work in them. See, when we stop judging, we start discovering, don't we? God is working in the brothers and sisters around you. When you can start seeing the graces of God being shown in someone's life, we can share in the joy of seeing God do his work, performing miracles in the hearts of those around you. Rejoice that this person was once lost and now is saved. Rejoice at their sanctification, the process of that happening in the brother or sister around you who's walking with you. Rejoice that you have someone who you can go to, share life with, who, you can, who, who can support you, who you can struggle alongside with, who you can praise God with in fellowship, in partnership. Celebrate with them. Man, we do, when we do that, man, it's humbling. And more importantly, God gets the glory. That's what the church is all about. Will you persevere in that with me? Even amongst all the struggles and, and difficulty of being in a team environment or with people who might, you might not have anything in common with. Even when our shame and guilt, our, our, our awkwardness might get the better of us when we struggle with that, have courage. Have hope. As we face this twisted world, we get to do it together with a church family that understands us, one that God has given to us. And as we do life around Jesus together, God gets all the glory. Can I encourage you to reach out to your church family? Love them. Receive love from them and love them. Pray for them and be prayed for. You know, the, the, the Lord of the Rings, right, that movie, one of my favorite movies, starts with the first book, right? The, the Fellowship of the Ring. It finishes with the return of the king. That's the last, the last movie. The ring is destroyed. The enemy is defeated. The king returns from battle in so much glory. Peace comes upon the earth. Now, it's a spoiler, but hey, you've had over 15 years to watch the movie. But the movie, in the movie, the mission is fulfilled, right? And it only happens when they all work together. Seeing one another as a, as a team united for a common cause, something greater than themselves. God has given us a team, but even better, he's given us a family, a church where we're partners with one another in the gospel. I mean, this is our tour de cure, right, that God has put us in. 
Instead of cycling 1,600 kilometers though, it's living our lives, having a journey ahead of us amidst all the struggles and trials with others in this church community, but it's one that's driven by love, isn't it? Actively caring, serving, praying for each other's faith to deepen and grow. You see, for the purpose, we do this for the purpose and the mission of God's name, glorified until the day we see our King return. Join me. Let's be the church that God has created us to be. Let me pray for that. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you've saved us into a relationship with you and into a relationship with one another. You've called us to love you and love our neighbor. You've called us to love you and love your, your church. And so help us to do that. May your spirit uh, grow in us each, each day. Help us to be a people who love the gospel. And in doing so, Lord, a people who love one another. May the gospel so impact our hearts that it will overflow to our hands in the way that we serve each other. Help us to be a people who care, who love, who want to see your name glorified. And we do pray that, that your name will be uh, made known in our world through our love for one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.